Welcome to Circle, friends. It is good to be with you this morning. Thank you for joining us today. It is a special honor for me today to speak, to bring a message, to do a sermon with my lovely wife, Jessica. I think this is officially the first time we've ever done this together, at least in this official setting. Yeah, and so it's, it's really exciting for me. And today we're going to continue our series, Everyone. Now in this series, as the title suggests, we are looking at everyone. And as John unpacked for us last week, we looked at that everyone in our community has their fit and belongs. Everyone has a place. You see, in the Christian worldview, in the Christian economy, everyone matters. There's no unimportant, there's no unwanted, there's no unneeded person. Everyone matters and everyone fits. Everyone belongs and everyone has a place. Now, I know as I say this, it sounds like an ideal proposal or like an ideal hope. And this sounds this way because as we learned last week, life and people in particular don't always look perfect. Don't always seem like they have a fit because, well, we are all imperfect, but all of us imperfect people can have a perfect fit. So today we're going to unpack another part of what that looks like for us. With our imperfect fit, how can we care for others? Care is one of those words that can carry a lot of baggage and assumptions. It can sound flippant depending on the context. Mm -hmm. So I think it's appropriate to define what we mean by care before we get into everyone cares. Care can function as both a noun or a verb. As a noun, it means the provision or protection of someone, such as duty of care. Care as a verb means to show concern for or interest in. It often indicates some kinds of action, not merely sentiment. It means not only to be aware of, but also to look after the needs of another. Mm -hmm. When we look for care, for needs to be recognized and met, we often look to our biological families, not always, but often, mm -hmm. to our mothers and fathers, if we are children, perhaps to the care of elderly relatives, if we're adults. We understand that family bonds require us to look to the physical and emotional needs of those within our family unit. Great harm can actually happen when mm -hmm. we look towards our family for care and we don't find any. Mm -hmm. Even if your family was or has been kept relatively safe from trauma, uh, all people have the experience of feeling isolated or uncared yeah. for by yeah. their own families because every family is imperfect. That's right. Every human has the desire to be seen, to belong. Part of feeling belonging is feeling like your needs are recognized and met by others. Yeah, that's right, Jess. It's interesting how so much of everyone finding their fit or belonging is tied to and is connected to being part of a family, right? Um, and families, of course, as we all know, come in all shapes and sizes with all the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. Each of us in a family feels sometimes like maybe we're not understood or have come to a place where we felt we, didn't, we weren't understood or maybe not heard or even sometimes not seen. So families are imperfect. And yet we need them so much. We need them for care. Now for us, for us and our family, Jessica and our family, this pandemic has given us a time to actually 
well, for us, catch up on some shows that we've, we've been wanting to watch or uh, people have been recommending to us. And we're avid fans of shows and movies. And in a regular season, well, we just don't have the time to see all the things that people recommend or we want to see. But in this time, we've been really able to catch up with the movies. And in fact, our screen time has definitely gone up um, in this season. And that nice reminder that Apple has put in their products that, it, that tells you about, uh, uh, about your screen time has bo been both alarming and awkward as we have seen our screen time grow each week in this season. And I'm sure that's just us. It's been our problem, but it's been growing a lot. Um, but aside from sharing that, that alarming trend in our family, what we did notice is that we've been watching uh, a lot of shows that, uh, that, have to that, that really focus on the family. And one of the things that really jumped out at me in these shows is the dysfunctional realities in these families. And depending on what show we were watching, some of the dysfunctions uh, were, well, if I'm honest, a little bit comforting actually, right? Like uh, it, gives, it gives me some relief knowing there are people out there even though they're fictional, I know they're not real, but that the people out there in these shows, that they too are stumbling through life, that they too are stumbling through how to parent, how to provide, how to be a good spouse, uh, how to do things like well every day. There's something about the dysfunction of not being able to do that in the, in the fictional family that is really fun and enjoyable to watch and, and it makes you laugh. Now, we were going to show a clip from one of the shows that we really enjoy, but with copyright, we couldn't do it. So I'm just going to describe it really quickly. The, the show is Schitt's Creek, and it won a whole bunch of awards. It's kind of a lot of people, if you haven't seen it, you might have heard about it. And the clip we're gonna we were going to show had to do with a family who used to be really wealthy, and, and now they've lost everything except this town they own, and they're living in this motel. It's a grungy motel, and they're all kind of together and stuck there. And the mom of the family, she's filling out the forms, uh, for, to get some relief and help. And she comes to a place and she says to her daughter, Alexis, is it Alexis? I think it's Alexis, her name. Yeah. She asks the daughter, Alexis, can you finish filling out a form I'm filling out for you? And Alexis says, sure. And she gets the form and she says, mom, it's all, it's all filled out. And the mom awkwardly says, well, you know, it's not all filled out. And they kind of have this weird exchange. And we learn through this funny interchange that they actually don't know their own daughter's middle name. That's the only part that she didn't fill out. She couldn't remember it and everybody's confused by it. And of course, this dysfunction is funny and it's comforting and it made us laugh. So I hope my description is just as good as the clip. Just as good. <laughs> but this experience of these shows in this one, an example, gives us comfort and joy. And I mean, it's just funny. And I mean, nothing has to be more than that. Like it's just funny. But I think if we're honest, it puts us into a place or into a position of thinking and feeling that, well, at least I'm, I'm not like them, right? I can laugh at this and say, at least I'm not like them. I know my kids' middle names, I think. Yes, yes, I do. But there are other shows, there are other shows about families that we've been watching with dysfunction that are really tragic. Like, they're not funny at all. And some of these shows, like the, like the Dutton's family in the show Yellowstone, or the Whites in Breaking Bad, or the Barksdales in The Wire, my favorite. <laughs> right? And the Ozarks family, they horrify us about what families could become. And they become this way under pressures of life, under different stresses, under different family triangulations. Uh, sometimes it's because of trauma they're this way, because of grief, poverty, power structures. And though they are fictional, they also connect us to, the, to this human condition 
of the imperfect family. And they, and they draw us in with their story. And maybe more terrifying or frustrating is that what shapes these dysfunctions in these families is not always the ramifications of their bad decisions or choices, but rather the broken world views that these characters hold to be true. The ideas of success, of wealth, happiness in these families are often tied to a really problematic worldview, uh, one that is full of abuse, corrosive and toxic uh, environments, um, places of success and happiness and hope is placed in power and wealth and status and fame at the expense of other people. And so in these shows, the, the pursuit of an individual or a group in the family brings about destruction to their own family unit. So it's fascinating to look at these fictional families because their stories either give us comic relief and make us laugh or terrify us or horrify us about what could happen when our worldviews are wrongly aligned or focused. I'm reminded of Tolstoy in his famous novel, Anna Karenina. Well, if I'm honest, Jessica reminded me of this quote, uh, which said, all happy families are alike, but each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Perhaps it is because of this, that particularly of unhappy families make such good drama for TV shows, for books, for stories, for movies. It's not that we like watching other people suffer. Of course not. It's that though these, uh, through these fictional stories, we connect on some level. We understand the complex dynamics of dysfunctional families as one of the most compelling types of conflicts in storytelling. We connect with them because no matter how or what our family looks like, we all with time come to understand the complexity in families exists. And these families teach us what could happen when our lives are aligned in the wrong hope for a family. What does this, so like I've just explained all this stuff about families and fictional families and complexities, but what does this all have to do with the church? With the everyone our church family is made up of? Well, as you'll see, the Apostle Paul had a vision of the church, not only as a community, but actually as a new family. A family not tied together by flesh and blood, but one that was unified in the spirit. It is this family that contrasted greatly, and this will be important, with the ancient Roman understanding of how a family functions. And he even, Apostle Paul, challenged the ancient Jewish assumptions of who was in God's family and who was out. So the setting we're going to look at that we'll find our scriptures in is in an ancient Galatia. And you'll see it as the, as the red province here, which is actually modern-day Turkey, which at that time was under Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire adopted its family system from the Greeks and valued actually the family system, but valued it for different reasons. It valued it for strength and growth so the empire could be powerful. But within that family structure, within that system, the dysfunction was toxic. We'll, what we saw in that family is that the view of women was incredibly low. Women were put almost at a level of an animal. And structures operated, uh, and the structure operated on the husband disciplining all the members of the family, wife, kids, and the slaves that they would own at that time. Children were valued if they were a male heir, 
But if, they, but if the child was female or if the child was uh, further down the line, they were not cared for. They did not care, have, carry the same value. And the slaves, important to the Romans to have power and strength and, and size in the family, held no personhood and were just property. So although the family looked strong from the outside and powerful and large based on the numbers of the family members, and again, this is what the empire wanted, the actual Roman family structure was full of dysfunction. It was not a model of care in any way, shape, or form. And this is important for us to note. This is important for us to understand. This is the context. This is the reality um, that Apostle Paul is writing, uh, writing to in Galatia. He's unpacking the passage of the Bible, or the passage of the Bible that we're going to unpack and look at today is looking right at this context in which the family system is defined by these dysfunctional ideas and was seen by the Romans as normal. You see, we see it as dysfunction. They saw it as normal. This, dysfunction, this dysfunctional family was seen as a strength and was encouraged both uh, through legislature and through politics as the future of the empire. So this family was unhappy in its own particular way, wasn't it? Yeah. So this new church family in Galatia, um, on one side there was this Roman notion of the family and the family structure, which caused tension as the Gentile Christians entered the church community. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side, there was a group of Jewish Christians who were unable to see Roman Christians as part of their family. That is Abraham's family. You see, in the Old Testament, the part of the Bible written before Jesus, God chose a Jewish family to be a light to all nations. Mm -hmm. This family began with Abraham and Sarah, whose descendants were the people of Israel. They were the family of God's promise. And Gentiles, the Romans with their uh, family customs, were not welcome in it, Mm -hmm. at least not until they adopted all Jewish customs and laws, including Mm. circumcision. Not really a model of care either. (laughs) It's important to understand this toxic environment is what Paul is speaking into and against. He's attempting to address both the Roman assumptions of what family structure looks like, and he's addressing Jewish Christians to consider their Gentile brothers and sisters as part of Abraham's family. Essentially, Paul is teaching the new Jesus communities and us what the church, the new family of God, looks like in Christ. Mm -hmm. So Paul is writing to this unhappy family that is the church in Galatia. He's trying to address both sides, the Roman-influenced side Mm -hmm. and the Jewish Christians. How is he going to convince them? They're coming from such different places. How is he going to convince them that every member of this family needs to stop looking out for their own needs and start caring for others? Paul begins by calling the Galatians to look back to the gospel they were first introduced to by reminding them that the message Paul had preached was from Christ himself. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a message that, became, that to become part of the new family of God, the church, you needed to become Jewish and obey the laws, um, the laws of the Torah. Instead, he writes, 
understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Mm. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Mm. Now, how is this accomplished, you might ask? How was suddenly now Gentiles are able to be part of Abraham's family of faith? Well, if you know the Old Testament, you'll know that Israel failed to be a blessing um, to the nations, as was promised to Abraham. Instead, they became like the nations all around them, full of idolatry and injustice. Mm. But when Jesus came onto the scene, fully God and fully Israelite man, his life, death, resurrection fulfilled what Israel had failed to do. As Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or a tree in some translations. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus Mm. so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So Jesus Even though he never sinned, even though he was God incarnate, he was put to death within the law system of that time and was supposed to, that was supposed to make Israel a light and a blessing to the nations. He essentially took the punishment of lawbreakers in order for us to become part of Abraham's family through faith. I know it's a really complex argument that relies on a lot of background knowledge that the original readers of the Galatian letters would have known. There's a reason Peter says that Paul's letters are confusing. I'd encourage you to actually read through all of Galatians beginning to end to see this argument completely unfold. But right now, if the mechanics of it aren't quite adding up for you, I'd encourage you to see the destination where Paul is going with this. In the next passage, Paul is really leaning into the family language. So he says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Mm. Mm. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba or Papa, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Mm. Think about that Roman household, right? A slave did not have the same standing as a child. A slave's relationship to the head of the house was of law. It was a business transaction, a relationship of ownership. So in the next passage, Paul is juxtaposing these two types of relationships. He's showing how Christ's actions transition the Gentiles, or the Galatians, sorry, both Jews and Gentiles, from slaves to the law to children of a loving father. Hmm. Hmm. So he continues. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, 
nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Mm -hmm. So with these verses, Paul brilliantly dismantles the hierarchy of the Roman family unit and the exclusivity of the Jewish Christians. All members of the Galatian church are equal sons and daughters in Christ and will receive an inheritance. So what would the first century equivalent to a mic drop be? A papyrus drop, perhaps? (laughs) Yeah, that's good. I like that. (laughs) But Paul's not done. He doesn't just end there. He wants the Galatians to understand they are part of God's family. He also wants them to understand that they need to live as Mm. God's family. Since they're no longer slaves to the law, but sons and daughters, how should they treat each other? The Jewish Christians might ask, without the law to guide our behavior, won't it just be a free-for-all? To this, Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. So what Paul's saying is you won't treat each other with care because you've been told to because it's a rule you will instead live by the spirit and he goes on to describe what this looks like but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness Mm self-control against such thing there is no law Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking and envying one another. And then further on in that same chapter, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Mm. But watch yourselves that you may not be tempted. This part I really like. Mm. Carry each other's burdens. That's good. In in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Mm. So care, not because it's the rule. Care Mm -hmm. because it's who we are as God's children. Everyone is an equal heir. There's a reason we call each other's brothers and sisters in the Christian church. And it's not just a friendly phrase. It's a spiritual reality. Mm. This reality has to become incarnate. That means made flesh and bone. Mm. It's good. We all need to look out for each other, recognize each other's needs, meeting them when we can. And this time during the pandemic, more than any other, because our siblings' needs can really be hidden because we're not seeing each other face-to-face and every struggle isn't necessarily visible. Oh, man. It's time to carry each other's burdens, right? It's time that requires great gentleness, patience, self-control, kindness, goodness, a faithful commitment to support our sisters and brothers in these difficult times. Hmm. Now... I want you to look at your screens and look at how many people are watching. And keep in mind that each viewer could be like two or three people. Our church family is really, really big. Hmm. And we actually need each 
member of our family to care for one another for their circle group or their vantage group, their youth group. If we all do our part to recognize needs and respond, we will be a family where no one's forgotten. Hmm. This is everybody's calling. Thank you, Jessica. That's such a powerful reminder. Um, Wow, thank you for walking us through this important text. And it strikes me what you said uh, when you said uh, this reality must be incarnate. That is, made flesh and bone, made real. Uh, that because this reality comes out in us looking out for each other and actually caring for each other. It's not some kind of idea out there somewhere in the sky. This is a real reality of a family that begins to care for one another. I mean, I, I, it just I, it resonates so much with this text as Apostle Paul writes and basically takes everything Jesus taught and showed and lived and begins to put it into as an application to say this is what it looks like to be Christian. This is the call for the Christian was to be one family, was to care for one another. That no matter, and because of that, no matter where you would travel in the world, no matter where you would go, you would have brothers and sisters who would care for you because you were part of that spiritual family. It's amazing to me. The call is, the church is called to make care real. Hmm. It's astounding to me. It strikes me that in our discussion about all the fictional dis- uh, dysfunctional families that we watched, that we started the, this whole conversation with, that, they, that these dysfunctional families have something in common, don't they? They, they have something in common with the Roman worldview and something in common with that Jew- first century Jewish Christian yeah, families in, in the sense that they, that they, were, um, they lacked care. That they really just looked out for one another and didn't care for one another. That the dysfunction actually was developed out of not caring for one another. And I think that's why we look at these fictional families and sometimes, like I said, they, they make us laugh and it's just for a laugh and sometimes they horrify us. But the common thread is that the dysfunction is based in how they do not care for one another. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it connects with us. They are similar to the selfish dynamics that Apostle Paul is now disrupting and dismantling in this letter to the, to the Galatians. For Apostle Paul, just as Jessica, just as you, thank you, so brilliantly explained, for him, if you were to belong to Christ, if Jesus was actually your Lord, you could not be selfish. You could no longer just look after your own needs. You had to now care for others. Hmm. The life and work of Jesus invites us into this family, a new family who sees the dignity of all people. And as Jessica read, there was no longer slave or free. There was, the people were no longer divided by gender or by race. Those things existed, but they were one despite of those things. This was there. This was our, this is our duty to care for others, to carry each other's burdens, to love our neighbors, to love well, even our enemies, the people that are really hard to love. Our calling as a family in Christ is to care for one another, to make this a reality, to, I, I like that, to bring it, to make it incarnate, to make it full of flesh and bone, to make it material and real, just as Christ did by becoming, just as God did by becoming Jesus. So this is really interesting letter. Thank you so much for unpacking that and, and thank you for listening to us. But I guess what I'm wondering is, what does this look like for us now? Like you've heard Paul bringing these Roman and Jewish families and trying to bring unity to them, trying to bring them as one, as a new family. 
And we can read these things sometimes and agree with them, but what does this actually look like for us here at Circle, here in Saskatoon, in Saskatchewan, or wherever you're watching this? What is, how, how does this look like for you? How do we care for one another today? And I think if I was to answer that, I would first say, well, I would, we would need to uh, have a deep recognition of the desire that we have in our being to be seen, to be heard, and to be, to be known. Mm. Yeah. And to do this well, to do this well requires personal relationships. You see, friends, I don't think church is just a place to attend. It's not a place to be entertained by music or speakers and then go back to your regular life. I think that's what Paul is dispelling here. It's not about some bunch of rules that you do, nor is it about some family structure dynamics that you've inherited. It's about something new. It's about a new family. And so if we take the words of Jesus, if we take the words of Apostle Paul seriously, then church is a family, and it requires relationships with all the imperfect people that find themselves in this church, in this new family. So we lean into getting to know each other. We lean in. And I know, I think, because we're talking about the reality, what, how do we do this in our church here at Circle? And in a large church, that seems like sometimes like a difficult task. But we can know someone. Mm-hmm. And, we be, and we can be part of a family. Now, for us, one of the solutions to accomplish this high calling that Apostle Paul is calling all of us into, or the Apostle Paul is outlining or teaching about the new family, one of our solutions is Circle Groups. And I know you've heard it before. For those of you that have been part of, our, part of our journey, you've heard this before. But circles are a way to be part of a community, part of a family as you get to know other people with all their imperfections and with all your imperfections. And they get to know you and you get to learn to care for them with their imperfections and they learn to care for you with all your imperfections. And sometimes this caring is hard. Let's just be honest. I wish I could say, join the circle group and it's going to be this amazing new family with nothing going wrong. But the reality is it's really hard because we're imperfect. And sometimes we just bear with one another. And that's why Paul uses that language. We just bear with one another as a family because maybe that's all we can offer at that time. But ultimately, ultimately, friends, we care for one another. And so as circle groups, we get to know the needs of others in our group. But we also get to hear about other circle groups and their needs. And together as one family, we get to step into those needs and care for one another. And sometimes it's by providing meals for somebody in need. Sometimes it's providing clothing, a gift card. And sometimes it's simply providing a listening ear, a presence that says, you matter. We do this because families care because the new family that apostle paul calls us into that jesus had begun is a place where we care for one another so friends if you're not in a group this is not a sales call for you this is just to remind you there's a new family that that would love to have you part of it so in our chat bar on just on the on your right i think on your screen we're going to have a link if you're not in a group please click on it And just find out more about it. Just ask some questions with our pastors and hosts. We believe there's a place for you. And we believe that in this new family, we were created to care. Absolutely. And we are designed this way because you matter. 
and the gifts and the abilities and all your imperfections and all your past and all your present are all welcome. In fact, it's needed. Your gifts, your story, maybe exactly what helps the family heal, to grow and be to be shaped in the way of Jesus. Thanks, Paul. So now that we've learned a little bit more about our call and our role in God's spiritual family, let's respond in prayer. Hmm. God, our Father, Abba, thank you for making it possible to be part of your new family. We thank you for our brothers and sisters and the way they enrich and expand our community. Help us to look to the needs of our spiritual siblings. Help us to carry each other's burdens, Mm. to recognize and to meet each other's needs. And help us to do this all freely as beloved daughters and sons. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jessica. Listen, friends, if you are new with us, if you're just checking this video out or you're just joining us on the live stream here, and, uh, or maybe you've been with us for a while, but you felt or you have been feeling that you're kind of on the outside of this new family that we're describing. Mm-hmm. And maybe Jesus has been, maybe through this conversation today, through this teaching, you've been kind of feeling the call that you want to join this family. I do want to give you an opportunity to step into this new relationship. Jesus invites us to join him in this new family. And it starts with an invitation. And you can, big, you can begin this journey simply by praying this prayer with me next. So if it's you, if this is where you're at, would you join me in this prayer? Which simply says, Jesus, our Heavenly Father, our Abba, our Daddy. That's what that all means. Jesus, I want to thank you for what you have done. As you entered this world to bring hope to the hopeless, joy to the sorrowful, and to offer us life. Today, I want to invite you into my life, and I want to be part of this relationship. Jesus, would you begin this new life in me? Amen. Amen. Friends, if you have said this prayer, would you let someone know? Would you let us know in in the chat and just let us celebrate with you? Because this is exciting. This is what family does. Family celebrates. We celebrate birthdays, birthdays, anniversaries. We celebrate these things. So please let us know in the chat. We would love to celebrate with you. We would also love to give you, uh, gift you a Bible. So please let us know if you have made that decision and join us next week with a friend. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the honor to have, to be able to teach and speak with my wife yeah, to you. Thanks, Paul. thanks for <laughs> letting us uh, share with you. See you next week.